Hey guys, welcome to the Tim Moen Show. We're doing a live stream. I'm trying to do more live streams. I want to get you guys involved. I want to hear your comments. I want to take your questions. I want to get your feedback. I want you to be part of this conversation. So I'm going to be trying to do more live streams. I'm dipping my toe into that uh, realm a little bit. We're, we're live streaming right now on uh, Facebook, on the Tim Moen Show Facebook page. Uh, we're uh, doing it on YouTube and we're doing it on Rumble. And I'm, I'm hoping to pick up more Rumble followers. I really want to start migrating over to Rumble, just feel more secure over there. Um, some of the stuff we talk about on the show is, uh, is likely to get us canceled. And our next guest, our guest today is, uh, is a guy that of all the guests I have, he's probably the most likely to rustle Jimmy's and, uh, and put me at risk of cancellation. So welcome <laughs> annual. Thank, Thank you for joining you, me and uh, putting me at risk of cancellation. <laughs> what means the jimmies? Because you know, wrestling jimmies, wrestling jimmies. I, I don't know. It's a term that uh, uh, it's one of those four chan terms. I don't know. I'm, I'm letting I'm letting my age show here. I think it's like uh, getting your panties in a knot or something like that. It's not a French Canadian expression. I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> right. And I should tell my audience that uh, this is a truly canadian podcast today because we've got an albertan and a quebecer here speaking with the uh the wonders of the the world wide web the internet thank you department of defense for inventing the internet am i right manuel <laughs> i don't know if it's true but uh, uh it's true let's thank them oh god bless the government am i right no oh we got a lot to talk about now manuel he is a guy i like to bring on when there's when I want a contrarian opinion, uh, he he has a heterodox opinion that goes against the flow when it comes to especially uh, foreign conflict. And uh, he reached out to me and said he had some red flags about Javi Malay. Now, I've been up on Javi Malay's nuts. I've been loving this guy. I'm like, he's saying all the right things. He's uh, got the right positions as far as I can tell on most things. But yet, Manuel, you say... There's some red flags you see in him. Well, let's talk about that. What are these red but flags? First of all, I want to say that I also love him, and I'm so I'm also very glad that he was elected. And just for people to know, if I would have if I would live in Argentina, I would have voted for him. No problem about that. So I'm not okay. you know, a, 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 an extremist contrarian. I'm able to be nuanced and to measure both aspects. Uh, and I mean, I'll, I, I try to take to take for in account all facts and arguments that are available. So of course, I'm uh, I I, lo I love that this guy has been elected. And just for the humor, show what he does with his chainsaw. And when he when he, when yeah. he when you speak, it's absolutely it's 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 a it's a free humor show that for for someone who is libertarian, it's you, you cannot get better than that. So very charismatic. Yeah, happy that he's elected. So now, it, yes, I see a, a, a few uh, red, red flag about about him. But first, uh, I where where. What we know about him, there's a few things that are there. There's two categories of things I would like to talk about: the the obvious red flag that we can see, but also the consequence of his election. 
for the libertarian uh, ideals because uh, mm. there's obviously a risk that it could affect, I think, negatively the libertarian uh, movement. So right. the red flag that I see is that about, first of all, uh, it, I never heard him criticizing uh, U.S. imperialism. Uh, he didn't, he openly say that he supports uh, Israel and Ukraine. And let's be clear, I'm not saying that libertarians should support Russia or uh, the Palestinian and the Hamas. Of course not. I think that the, those two conflict are uh, conflict between group of state of uh, of statist politicians, which for me put them in a, both an evil category. Uh, in the case of Ukraine, it's obviously an imperialist uh, conflict that goes a lot. Of, that is, it's a, it's a it. it It's it's more uh, it's more a conflict between the United States and Russia than just Russia and Ukraine. Sure. So, as libertarian, I think we we have to be nuanced and consider that all that. So, if I see a, a libertarian politician uh, that advocates to be even an anarcho-capitalist that go as far as saying that, but says that he fully support Israel and Ukraine. I'm kind for me. It's a it's a red flag. Sure, it's like uh, let's wait and see. And and Manuel, to be clear, that was you know the biggest the biggest um, I guess complaints I see about him from the the contrarians online, the, those that are automatically against the next thing, uh, is that he is he's a Zionist and he's a WEF shill, World mm -hmm. Economic Forum shill. Now we've we've addressed the World Economic Forum stuff before. Here he he did a hardcore anarcho-capitalist libertarian speech at a World Economic Forum conference in Panama in 2014, and so the World Economic Forum has him on their website as an affiliate. Okay, now if you take the best libertarian in the world, and all it takes for other libertarians to throw him under the bus is for the World Economic Forum to put him on their website. Well, you can expect to see them put a lot more uh, libertarians on their website, right? I, uh, I fully agree with that. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I and, 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 and I mean, again, uh, just let me finish up my point here. He, I mean, what he did was would be equivalent to uh, an evangelical Christian pastor preaching the gospel of Christ at the Church of Satan, right? That's that's essentially what he what he did. He went he went to the gates of hell and preached the message that those guys, above all other people on the world, need to hear. If anyone needs to hear the gospel of liberty, it's globalists, people in the World Economic Forum, people in NATO, people at the UN, uh, people at the Bilderberg Group. So God bless the libertarians that are speaking to these people. So WEF, I, I, I don't see any, I mean, in fact, he's anti-globalist. He's, he's said he's against Agenda 2030 and all these other things a bunch of times. But the other complaint I hear about him quite often, Manuel, is that he's a Zionist. And I think it's precisely for the reason you said. He, he said something to the effect that Israel has a right to defend itself. 
And he also has said that he admires, I think, Jewish values or something like that. He's, I think there's some rumor that he's, he's contemplating a, uh, a, a switch to Judaism as a religion for himself. Yes. And if that's all it is, um, okay, I can see why that might raise a little bit of suspicion. But look, some of the best libertarians, I mean, most libertarian forefathers were Jews. I mean, you had Murray Rothbard, you have Walter Block, you had, uh, I'm not sure if Ludwig von Mises was a Jew, but Hayek was. And I mean, all the great thinkers that we owe our philosophy to that, that are the most avid defenders of what it means to be a Western civilization, um, those come from uh, Jewish people, Jewish disproportionately, right? Now, you mm -hmm. could also say that there's a lot of bad ideas that disproportionately come from the Jewish culture. But, but look, they are, there's something about their culture that's, that's, uh, promotes debate and discussion and whatever. So I, I don't have any problem with someone say they admire one culture or another. And, uh, you know, in terms of Israel has a right to defend itself, okay, well, if we're a hardcore anarcho-capitalist, we could say that no state has a right to defend itself because states exactly. are an aggressive thing. But Javi Malay has also said that um, that that look, anarcho-capitalism is his preferred end goal. But there's probably a few steps to take between now and then, and it could be, you know, there is a there is a line of thinking in libertarian or even anarchist thought that maybe the nation state is the next progression that we, we came out of feudalism and um, and uh, monarchies and different things. Um, and we now have these states and maybe as moral progress is made at the same time, we have technological innovations like blockchains and cryptocurrency. Um, you know, the state, the state may be necessary to protect us from other states. We may need to, if we go into a, a, a prison, Manual, join a, a gang that we would never want to voluntarily associate with for our own protection. So there's there's an argument to be made that um, that yeah, even nation states have a right to defend themselves. So, but he might not have even been talking about the nation state. He might have just been talking about the the nation itself, the group of people, a group of people who share common culture and ancestry, have a right to defend themselves from aggression and okay can't disagree with that uh we can argue about what i agree is. with you on that yeah so okay but he raised the point and he's taken a side here very strongly uh where a lot of us are like hmm i need to know the details of a specific action before i can determine whether it's a moral action or not um i, I don't judge everything collectively like most people do I judge exactly. individuals and individual actions. So, so I'm going to hold back and and have my opinion about specific things. But uh, I need to know more. I need to know details before I can come down on one side of a specific action with specific nameable individuals before anything else. Anyways, so I think we've addressed. I, I don't know if there's anything else on the Zionist front that. Uh, yes. Okay, go ahead. I agree with what you said that a nation's in the paradigm of nation state, a nation state has the right to defend itself. Uh, last time we talked, we talked about the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and 
I said that even though I don't support the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, I consider that Russia was provoked by uh, U.S. NATO. Right. So it, the, the idea that a nation state has the right to defend itself, uh, I, I totally agree with that. Right. Uh, I, and, and that's the thing, Manuel, like we're, we're talking about things that people have seem to have a difficult time wrapping their head around how two things can be right at the same time. Let's look at Canada. Uh, we had two terrorists in Canada right around the time um, um, Harper uh, decided to join uh, Hillary Clinton's invasion and bombing of Libya and overthrow of Gaddafi. Okay, we sent CF-18s there to bomb the shit out of Libya. That that decision was made. And then immediately we had two terror attacks. And those terrorists um, cited that decision to bomb Libya as motivation behind their attacks. Now, does that take away their personal responsibility? No. Does that no. mean we can't defend ourselves against them? No. Does that mean we can't execute those people for their crimes? No. But what it does mean is that um, our foreign policy might have contributed to this. Had it not been for our po foreign policy, we might not have had those attacks. Uh, and, and so both those things can be true at the same time, that the terrorists can be bad and that our foreign policy might have contributed to provoking those attacks or motivating them uh, and certainly not protecting us. So those two things can be the same. And it's the same with Ukraine, right? It's like, yes, they have a right to defend themselves. They shouldn't be invaded, but also at the same time, Hey, could you not provoke Russia so much? All exactly. the saber rattling, rattling with uh, NATO and yada, yada. Right. So in the yeah. case, in the case of Israel, Palestine, also we have to recognize, I think that, uh, the conflict didn't start suddenly on October 7th. It's not, it's not, it's not like, it's not like if uh, Hamas suddenly became evil on October 7th and right. deliberately decided to do what it did. I don't support what Hamas did. I think Hamas is a group of evil people, but we, ha we have to put that into the context. Right. What Israel has, and I want to be clear. I think that the the Jews have a right to live in this area. I think that in 1947 there were a lot of Jews having private property in that area. But I also think there were a lot of non-Jews, uh, Muslim, Christians, and maybe others, Palestinian, that were living there and that were ethnically cleansed or just had to escape and were got their land stolen. So uh, Israel, I understand why the people there hate them. Of course, the problem is that it's the collectivist thinking. If when you the, the non-aggression principle is clear, if you know if I go into your home and that I initiate violence against you, your family, or your private property, you have full moral right to use violence to defend yourself, even right. if it means killing me. I think we all agree with that. Now, if your neighbor, I don't know, come in your house, destroy, steal, hurt people, and get out, does it give you the right to bomb the whole area? No. No. And, and that, 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 that's the collectivist problem. Uh, right, right. And, and, you know, and I mean, the, the same arguments that Israel is being, you know, 
just like Hamas had no right to come in and murder innocent women, children, men, even men didn't, innocent men didn't deserve to be. Killed. Exactly. All <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, and in the most brutal way, right. And Hamas, um, apologists might say, well, what do you expect? I mean, they're living under oppression and at some point they, they have to use tactics that might involve, uh, co collateral damage and they might intentionally target collateral damage to get there. <laughs> but that's the same argument being used to defend Israel's action. Then when it kills a bunch of women and children, it's like, and oh, they did it in a it's doing what's necessary to defend itself and to, to meet some kind of military aim. So, so yes, there is a moral difference and I will acknowledge that. I mean, there's a difference between people who have no remorse or no hesitation at all about murdering innocents uh, versus people who reluctantly murder innocents. <laughs> That's different. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a matter of barbaric, um, sadistic first degree murder and just plain old first degree murder. You know what I mean? Yes. It's so, <laughs> still yeah, first degree murder, but one, yeah, it's worse. So about Xavier Milai, as I say, I love the guy, but when I see him with uh, an Israeli flag, when Israel is committing a kind of almost, I don't know if I can use the word genocide, but what they're doing in Gaza right now is quite very evil and the, associate the libertarian and anarcho-capitalist with what Israel is doing right now in Gaza. Yeah. I think it's a very, very bad thing. So, Yeah, it's a, it's a little tricky. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I, but again, I have to admit, I don't know the truth of what's happening on the ground. I don't know what there are for civilian casualties. I don't know how precise Israel is. I don't know. Again, I would have to take a look at individual actions. I don't judge their defense as a whole. I, I, I look at individual actions and decide, okay, that was crossing the line. That one wasn't. That was crossing the line. That one wasn't based on it. it was there foreseeable civilian deaths or not in your action, right? Was how necessary was it for your protection to execute that target? What would have happened if you didn't? I mean, these are the kinds of things that would be answered in a court of law and a just system, but it seems like we throw out the principles of justice as soon as we call, put slap a label on our violence and call it war. And suddenly all those rules are out the window and we're operating under some different thing called just war theory, whatever the hell that is. Yeah. I, I wrote myself a thesis, a thesis on, or an essay on just war theory, and it's for me there need there need there's need to be three uh, condition. Uh, the cause must be good, the means of doing it must be good, and the result must be good. I mean, you, the cause it has to be self defense, and I don't think what Israel is doing in Gaza it's just self defense. I think they also want to conquer the, the place because they have done it since. Uh, and I, again, it's 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 like the it's it's like Napoleon and the French Revolution. I mean, they were attacked. France was attacked by the rest of Europe. They defend themselves, and I, and I, and after that, they invaded the rest of Europe. So right, right. It, it's it, it's. It's not an easy uh, situation because we have many things to consider. But I think it is Israel uh, what what it what they have done. Uh, I can I can I cannot condone I cannot su support that. So 
Fair enough. Okay. So what, what else do you see any other red flags about Javi? Uh, well, I know that he said that he wants to make abortion illegal. Hmm. Look, I have, I understand that many libertarians don't like abortion. I will not, uh, I will, I will not, uh, you know, attack them for that. Me, I think it should be. I, I, I believe in the principle that a woman own her body, and even if we could make a case that the 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 the, the baby, the fetus, is. Uh, is a living individual. I think that the the body of the mother that contain it as a priority above it. And I'm not saying that I like that. It's a thing of nature that uh, I find it sad. But the idea that we're going to use the state to make abortion illegal, I cannot support that. Yeah. I think that if we get rid of the welfare state uh, and that... Uh, <laughs> women will have to become more responsible. Uh, and in the case of abortion, they're going to have to pay for it. Or in the case maybe of rape, uh, the, the, I mean, an ideal justice system will force the, the, rape, the, 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 the raper to, uh, to pay for it and, and, right. and pay reparation. But I know that he's against abortion. It's not, look, it's not the, the biggest thing uh, that, annoy me but i think that yeah uh, fair, fair enough i i you know uh, that doesn't annoy me an incredible mm -hmm. amount because i can make a case on either side for that i'm kind of with you i i just don't think there's a there's a violent solution to the problem of abortion right and the state yeah. is always violent and yeah. what you're dealing with is like you said even if even if we agree that that is a life that is worth protecting uh how do you protect it with violence like if that mom wants to kill what's inside her or evict it um like are you going to shoot the mom like that, that that's what a law is right it's the escalation yeah. of force so yeah. there's no way to stop that without killing both mom and baby at, at the logical conclusion of the enforcement and so it doesn't protect the baby um you know i guess you can you can um uh ban other people from killing that baby which is probably a reasonable thing to take um but i don't see how you can if the technology exists that you can you know, ban the mom from taking, let's say, the morning after pill or something. What are you going to do? Yeah. Shoot it out of her hand? Are you going to, well, like, how are you going to exactly stop that? So, so I agree. And, and the other point I make often is that you don't really need to ban abortion in a libertarian society because no. it's, it's very rare because yeah. now suddenly, because I've, I've said this over and over again on the show, a libertarian society is a much more socially conservative society uh, naturally. Because you have to bear the consequences of your of your poor behavior, right? There's no welfare state, right? There's no welfare state, but more than that, Manuel, it's not just the welfare state. It, it's it, I think even the welfare state might be I might put it down fairly low on the things that drive family apart and promote things like promiscuity and casual sex and things like that. It it is the state destroys the family in so many ways. I agree. Um, it. it I mean, you just have to look at family law, for example, to in, in no other like marriage is supposed to be a, a covenant, a contract, right, with another person. But yet in North America, well, in most civilized societies, quote unquote, uh, you can break that contract and not only suffer no consequences, but have the other person have to pay you for you breaking the contract. 
for you violating the contract, right? Now, normally in contract law, when I break the contract, there's some penalty I have to pay. And I certainly don't get uh, payments forever from the other person. So it's made um, breaking contracts and the most important contracts in society, I would argue, are the family contract you make because that's literally where society emerges from, the family, from the the children that you that emerge from that. And so if you make it that contract inconsequential and there's no accountability and no consequences for violating it well of course it's it's going to be violated on the regular um and so you know look if we get rid of uh if we have uh, fewer broken families fathers in the homes there's fewer unwanted pregnancies that's a fact there's fewer yeah. There's much less drug addiction. There's much less crime and criminality. All those things go up by a factor of like 400% in fatherless homes, right? I agree. Uh, and, and so now suddenly you've taken away the, you've stopped treating marriage so cavalierly and, you know, and people have to take it seriously. There's going to be some uh, communication. There's going to be some clear parameters drawn up on the relationship there's going to be some clear understanding of what happens if it breaks up there's going to be they're going to be much more solemn occasions much more um uh thought about much more planned and and much more careful about who you enter into those relationships mm -hmm. with because they are very consequential and and now uh you know you've got much less uh, of the things that lead to unwanted pregnancies and abortion so i think that the the uh, abortion problem of abortion kind of gets taken care of um, without even having to make it uh, illegal or something like that. But yeah, okay. anyways, I, I, I go on the sidetrack there. I'm pretty sure that, as I said, we would be in a maybe not 100% perfect libertarian society, but if we could reach uh, an almost ideal libertarian society, I'm pretty sure abortion would be reduced like at... 80 to 90 percent uh, less abortion so yeah the, the people that the the, the the people that are really against it uh and there are a lot of people that are against it but sure. agree with us that that i mean in the libertarian community that they don't want to have the state enforce it so uh i, I know that he said that he want so xavier milai said he wanted to make it illegal I just wanted to mention it. The last point I wanted to mention is that uh, he said he want to uh, get rid of the Argentinian central bank, which I think is great. I don't know if you saw him with a with a with a, with a stick breaking a kind of piñata in form yeah. of a central bank in a in a in a TV show. Uh, I, I saw that. Yeah, and that was funny. That was really funny. Yeah. So, uh, and I think it's great that he want to do that, but he want to replace it with the central bank of the United States. You want to replace right. the Argentinian pesos with the US dollar. But I agree that it will be probably better for the Argentinian people because the, the US dollar has, is probably uh, more stable or can we say that the rate of inflation of the US dollar is not yet at 140% per year. So, uh, and the US dollar is kind of... Uh, protected by the the, the 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 u.s military so uh 
for no. the Argentinian people, it's a step. I think it's a, a step in a good direction. I know that he said it. He was favorable to Bitcoin and met, and precious metal, but it doesn't really destroy central banking. It just replaces it with another. Right, right. Well, and in, in fairness, uh, you know, Daniel, the Argentinian, I I interviewed about Malay. Uh, when I brought this up, he said that, look, you have to understand Argentinians love U.S. dollars, right? Mm -hmm. They they have their savings under their mattress in U.S. dollars whenever possible uh, because they, they don't trust their own currency. And and, and that this is true in a lot of uh, struggling or developing countries. They, they prefer the U.S. dollars because in terms of dollars worldwide, it is one of the better ones. It is. Mm -hmm. But uh, Malay has also said that uh, I think this is a waypoint on the way to uh, completely free market in money, right? This is just the first step on the way. So um, let's hope it's true. I mean, certainly if you had to do something achievable in the immediate term, dollarizing on the US dollar is something achievable and a step in the right direction in the near term, uh, whether it can whether he can actually get us to the goal line or not, that remains to be seen. But I think that uh, we have to be pragmatic because we live in a, in a world that we don't, we don't just live in a world of abstract ID. So right. uh, pragmatically, I think that if he would have been against the US dollar, I'm pretty sure he would not have been elected. I'm pretty sure that the US government and all the all the reach they have uh, around the world. We know that the U.S. dollar and uh, the the U.S. government intervene in so many uh, foreign country and not just militarily, but they can uh, with covert covert ops they can uh, engineer coup to install who they want. Sure. So uh, even if anar anarcho capitalism libertarianism is <laughs> very against what the U.S. government represents right now. The fact that he wants to go to the U.S. dollar is kind of a good thing for the U.S. government in the sense that it helps... It protects him from the CIA a little bit. Hey. Uh, yes, and it helps the U.S. government to like to export its inflation because let, let's let's face right. it the, the u.s government has been exporting inflation all around the world for 50 years yeah. and the people that didn't like it uh are often uh Gaddafi, <laughs> Saddam Hussein. Yeah. uh the, i don't know the guy in syria Those guys didn't turn out so well did they no and uh putin uh, so uh if Xavier, Xavier Milai was probably aware that if he would have said, hey, I'm going on a gold standard, I'm not sure he would have he would have been elected. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You raised another issue that I think is worth talking about too, and that is uh, what happens. Now, now we have this guy, this charismatic figure, saying all the right things or mostly the right things. Um, and, it, you know, he is... It, it, he hasn't just been a flash in the pan either. I mean, he's been saying these things for decades, multiple times a week on national TV. He's educated an Argentinian populace. The more we learn about this guy, the more he seems like he has been carrying this 
um, message and and knocking it out of the park with the Argentinian people for for years and years. Uh, you know, he's been basically Argentina's Ron Paul in a lot of ways. And Daniel uh, was saying that if you talk to an Argentine cab driver, they understand uh, the root causes of inflation and can talk about central banking and and free market money and all the things that Austrians talk about, which is phenomenal. Now, yes, now he is the leader of that country. He got himself into a position where he's the president of this country and he's carrying that torch light. Right now, the attention of the world's on him, not just the Argentinian people. So everyone that is looking to this philosophy called libertarianism to see, can it be successful? And if it's not successful, if there's not some meaningful, significant reforms that happen in Argentina, what does that say about the philosophy of liberty? Exactly. That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> but this week I listened uh, to a podcast from the Mises Institute and they were uh, asking that question. And so I didn't think about it by myself, but uh, by, by listening to this podcast, uh, I really understood that it was a very, very important question. And so what, what they said is that, okay, Obviously, Xavier Milai is going to cut into the government, which we all love, but you know there's going to be a reaction for that. Huh? The, the, yeah. the people that, uh, the, the, the left, the people that have jobs for the government, uh, we know how they will react. And, you know, if they yeah, start. Well, and, and it's already happening. I saw an article today, uh, Manuel. Argentina's Javier Malay faces airline privatization backlash. Unions oppose Thatcher-loving libertarians' plans to remove companies from state ownership. So here we have uh, an airline that's owned by the state. Javi Millet is going to privatize it. And, uh, of course, the public sector unions are up in arms. So, and, And we have to understand this as well about Argentina is that... It, it, it the reason it has 140% inflation is because government has grown so big. The public sector has grown so big. And so you have a huge public sector. You have a huge parasitic class that relies on the public sector. And as soon as that, uh, th- that nectar, that milk is removed from the parasites, they're going to go crazy. And, right. and it's only been a couple days and uh, he's already facing huge backlash. So Things are going to get interesting for him. So, yeah. So if all those backlash, let's say those, uh, uh, those there's there may be strikes, people may stop working, they may break things, they may cause chaos, the economy, the, 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 the productivity of the economy may uh, go down. It's not going to help the economic situation. And the problem is that all those problems, in the mind of most people will not be associated with the fact that the people broke thing or stopped working. They will be associated wrongly with the libertarian right. principle. Right. That's what it said. And Stefan well, Molyneux had already I was just gonna uh, bring that up. <laughs> talked about it decades when I started to listen yeah. to him. Uh, I can just... Well, yeah, because before. when Ron Paul came along, you're like, oh, here's a libertarian. We should support him, right? Yeah. Stefan Molyneux is like, 
Not so fast, bucko. That libertarian gets elected now, and, and we've already got this huge bubble blown up by the Fed, and all sorts of things start to collapse. Inevitably, while Ron Paul's in power, what are they going to remember? A libertarian <laughs> exactly. was at the helm when the central bank and all these banks collapsed. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Ron Paul, uh, uh, one of our listeners here, Verismi, hope, hope I didn't say that wrong, uh, says Ron Paul did talk about him, Malay, without with warning, I believe. So he's, I don't know if uh, he's warning Malay to be careful, to watch out for hot lead injections or whether uh, he's warning that Malay might not be the the savior that everyone's making him out to be. But either way, uh, it, it, it is interesting. Regardless, Manuel, he is the president and mm -hmm. it, it will be, I, I would rather have that than not because now we're going to find out a bunch of things, right? Oh, I, I fully agree with that, but right. I think that the, what we're discussing is also important. So yes. we, we're talking yeah. about the positive thing and the negative things. Uh, well, me, and, and what I've been saying for years, Manuel, might be proven wrong, right? I've been saying for years that what we need is a cultural shift. That needs to happen first before a political shift can happen. And maybe maybe I'm actually being proven right by by uh malay because he he spent decades creating a, a cultural shift i mean if i could appear on national t tv for two decades four or five times a week uh i might be able to get a bit of a cultural shift going too well, we're, we're having a cultural shift here here sure. too i think it's just man, not at the same speed because we don't have yet the same rate of inflation that, that argentina fair. i think uh maybe it's our enemies that are creating that cultural shift more than us right <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, uh, Daniel, thank you. Great conversation, guys. Appreciate that. Hey, guys, if you have anything you want us to specifically talk about outside yeah, of the please league, do, about do events, just feel free to drop them in the comments here. We're going to talk about a few more things. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with regards to this guy? Uh, but I wanted to make a, an example here in Quebec. Uh, in 2012, the Liberal government wanted to raise the the fees for uh, university, okay? Uh, Quebec, is it the word in English, tuition? Yeah, tuition. Yeah, okay, sorry. The, 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 the Quebec government want, wanted to raise the tuition fees in 2012. Uh, the tuition fees in Quebec were apparently the lowest in Canada. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, so what happened? But The students started to... Um, uh, demonstrate to riot in the street they blocked highways they broke things they broke things in the universities they stopped the course uh it caused troubles so what i want to say is that finally the amount of money that the government was going to get by uh by raising the fees uh this amount of money was lower. Um, it was a lower amount that than what it cost uh, in overtime for the police uh, and all the trouble caused by the demonstration. Right, right. So the, the 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 student that rioted and demonstrated costed more than what the government would have saved. So right. that and I remember Stefan Molyneux said, "Yeah, that, that's why statism doesn't work." I mean, uh, right. and me at the time, I remember I was telling people, yeah, uh, it, I, I understood the people that were un unhappy that the tuition fees were going up because I said, I'm going to give them 
a point is that in Quebec, we're the place we pay the highest income tax. So I think in uh, in return, we should not have to pay more fees. I think in the inside the status paradigm that made sense, but the the, the solution was not that, that the real solution would be to privatize the the. the I was going to say that the schools, which are indoctrination camps, and can believe me that uh, governments own university in Quebec, uh, I are not really a place that uh, teach freedom. You know, yeah, yeah. So, right. Uh, and and we need to be careful about when we say privatize as well, right? Right now in Alberta, for example, uh, the UCP is creating some uh, healthcare reforms. Yeah. Now they're it seems like they're decentralizing or breaking breaking up AHS's monopoly on power and they're decentralizing it a bit. Seems like a step in the right direction. But of course, the NDP and all the union acolytes are pushing back saying, well, they're they're worried about privatization. They're, and what they mean by privatization is something different. They don't mean legalizing healthcare and letting old Tim okay. here start a, a, a community paramedic business serving clients. What they mean, although they're certainly opposed to that as well, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I can only work for the government. What they're worried about is public funds going to a private entity. And I, I, I have to admit, yeah, I've got uh, my own concerns about that. Sending someone to a private school or private clinic that is operating off government funds within a government framework um it's not likely to be that much better yeah. than government, if at all. And it will anger, and it will anger the leftists. And they're gonna, uh, yeah. I think you said, yeah. You 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 mentioned that in your previous podcast that I listened to. Uh, you, you were saying that, and it, it makes sense. And I would add also that in the paradigm that we live, let's let's say in Argentina, Xavier Milai privatized the the, the airline. The, the the problem is that who's gonna buy them? People that got rich, right? Probably by using the state. So it's not. I, I know it, not, nothing can be perfect, but uh, the, the the people will get angry, and I will understand that too myself. Say, hey, there's a, a billionaire gonna buy something that the government is privatizing, uh, but he became billionaire by sleeping with the state. So yeah, right, right. Don't but but the, the the days of sleeping with the state are hopefully over, and <laughs> when they buy it, they're gonna live and die on whether they can actually attract consenting yeah. dollars to their business, right? So now at least they're they're doing honest work, even if they got a head start by getting by being a, a crony with the state. Yeah. Um, okay, but speaking of Argentina, let's just switch gears um, a little bit here. Oh, someone's saying that my mic is too quiet. Let's see here if I can turn my mic up a little bit. Is my, uh, yeah. is my mic okay? Because last time I had a, a live stream, when I, when I had the reflex when I talk, yeah. The problem is that maybe I, I, I tend to, my mouth close to it. Uh, some of my friend make uh, made some joke about that. <laughs> Steve, if he's ever listening, uh, but okay, I turn, I turn my mic up a little bit. Hopefully, that's a little bit better. From it. Um, okay, Argentina is where a lot of Nazis fled, uh, if I recall. Well, uh, didn't Hitler supposedly flee to Argentina? Wasn't there a series about that? Uh, isn't that what the conspiracy theory? Anyways, a lot of Nazis fled to South America, including Argentina. Um, 
segueing from that into a Nazi in parliament. We had a Nazi in parliament not too long ago. And I remember you reaching out to me saying, Hey, we should talk about this. I didn't get a chance to then let's talk about it now, Manuel. What, what's the deal with this Nazi that, uh, was invited to parliament. You sound like you have something to say about it. Well, first of all, I think it was really funny when that happened. We got uh, on, on social network a lot of funny memes about it. It also discredited, I think, the whole political class because uh, they all applauded the guy. Uh, so it was funny. Now, yeah. for me, it, it, it raised uh, a lot of questions because... Uh, uh, what what really happened? So I, I was first. I want to ask you, what do you think really happened? Well, it, let me help. Let me see if I can re recall. He was he was a Polish guy, correct? Uh, oh, I think I'm not he, sure. I think he was Polish, and he, he was, was fight, and he was fighting against the commies or something like that. And the people were Ukrainian because oh, maybe, that, that's right. He was Ukrainian, but he was fighting against the not the commies, right? And yeah. and so the team that was, was fighting against the commies at the time were, were the Nazis. Exactly. So, uh, you know, in, on, in one sense, the government was right. He was a freedom fighter for Ukrainian, Ukraine, <laughs> Ukraine. It's just that most of those freedom fighters happen to also <laughs> lean Nazi a little bit. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, if we're, I think his family issued a statement saying, look, this guy fought for the freedom. Yeah. Uh, he joined with the army, but he didn't subscribe to their stinky beliefs or whatever. He was we, just. We'll never know. We will never. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. But, I, yeah, I mean, it creates all sorts of uh, weird conundrums. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, but it because was, in, in this world, Manuel, everyone wants everything to be black and white. Yeah, every, exactly. Every, every, you know, there's a good guy and a bad guy, and we're on the good guy side. Oh, he was a Nazi. Oh, shit. And, and yeah, I mean, we, we've been calling all the people we hate Nazis for the last little while, and then we invite a literal Nazi to Parliament. Uh, yeah, that that has a certain level of irony. They were hoisted on their own petard, and uh, I thought that was pretty funny as well. But, but uh, I'm, I'm People say some people said that oh they they they, they lie that that they, they they lied about the fact that they didn't know. Uh, me, I'm pretty sure that you know, I hate Justin Trudeau. Uh, I don't like really much more Pierre Poilievre. I think he's a lot more eloquent. Yeah. Uh, he, he speaks well. He presents himself a lot better than Trudeau. But I don't think that he can really do. Uh, do uh... He's not going to save Canada. No, no, I don't think so. Well, so... here's what I think happened, Manuel. I think they they had uh, Zelensky come and visit. Right, mm -hmm. that that was right around the time Zelensky was yeah. coming to visit, and they're like, you know what, we need to find us a Ukrainian freedom fighter. Who who do we got? Who can we honor in front of the yeah. you know Parliament and yeah. and really show how pro Ukrainian we are. <laughs> oh this guy. I, I just think they jumped at it without really doing their due diligence and probably yeah in, in their rush to virtue signal they didn't exactly uh, exactly exa it's what I said. Yeah. I, I made a post on social media and it's exactly uh but it's mostly what, what I said. So I, I'm pretty sure that every of those politicians would never wanted to associate themselves with a Nazi because Nazis are the are still the, the, the best boogeyman possible to, right. to virtue signal. And so uh, if people think that that they, 
that our politicians support a Nazi? I don't think so. Uh, it raised the question, did the guy who brought uh, the, the, this old man, uh, he knew that the guy fought against the Russian during World War II. Okay. I think it's obvious because it's, sure. it's the way they present the guy. He's a freedom fighter who fought against Russia during the Second World War. And now everybody in the parliament applauds that. Of course. I cannot believe... Who wouldn't, that, who wouldn't applaud a freedom yeah, fighter? I cannot believe that the 300... How, how many of them are there in Parliament of Canada? 308? Uh, three, 338, I think. 338, okay. Yeah. I cannot believe that the 338 MPs in the Parliament didn't know that during World War II... Uh, the so-called good allies. You know why I say so-called? Because I'm, a, I'm myself a World War II revisionist. Uh, right. I cannot believe that they didn't know that Russia was allied with Canada and the United, the UK and US against Nazi Germany. I cannot. Right. I guess there may be a few of them who rem didn't re remember it clearly, or they well, just remember I, that. I, I can actually believe it. I, I don't know that they were. I don't know. They are the sharpest tool in the in the shed when it comes to history and things like that. I think they're very good at virtue signaling, exactly. very good at navigating uh, the the social political landscape and and glad handing and and gaining popularity. I don't think they're essential. I don't think they're the the most uh, well. Uh, thought out. I, I don't think they have the most well thought out positions. Yeah. I, I don't think they've given one ounce of thought to, to political philosophy. Yeah. Uh, they're they're simply navigating the landscape that's before them. That was put there by uh, the people because the people demanded this landscape. We want a big government. We want healthcare taken care yeah. of. We want yeah. to, uh, our retirement taken care of. We want you to take care of us from cradle to the grave. We want you to protect us from a pandemic, protect us from foreigners, protect, you know, we've been begging the government to jackboot us for, <laughs> and and this is what it looks like. Yeah. And, the, and these guys are just really good at navigating that. And they're not the sharpest tools in the shed at anything else. Right. That we, 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 we agree. And it, it made them look crazy, but it raised for me one big question. Why people in Ukraine and many, and even in Russia and in Eastern Europe during World War II, why so many people decided to fight on the side of the Nazis against the Soviet Union of Stalin? So can people answer? It's, it's, it's the question that nobody would dare to ask, and it's it's an issue that nobody really understands. So right. just, people are taught World War II was a good war because uh, the the Nazis were totally evil, and the rest uh, the, the, the the Nazis and the imperial uh, and Japan imperialism were totally evil, but the rest of the world who were uh, imperialist power, uh, colonial empires, and Stalin yeah. they did nothing wrong. wrong. They did wow. The nukes were fine. The, the yeah. firebombing address and all that was all fine. Yeah. Uh, Ma Manuel, let's let's shift. There's there is one thing I actually wanted to talk to you about before we wrap up, and that is, um, uh, Geert Wilders, a right wing politician, recently won in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, he became prime minister. I think they have prime ministers there. Um, what what is your take on this? Uh, we're seeing, you know, we have Javi Malay. A populist leader in the south. Now we have the Geert Wilders, a populist in 
the Netherlands. Is this signaling something? Is this signaling a shift in culture or a shift in focus? And what what does it mean? I will say that I don't know. I don't. I know almost nothing about the politics of the Netherlands. Uh, I know that a so-called right-wing guy was elected. Uh, for me, when I hear right-wing versus left-wing in the media, usually when I hear right-wing, for me, it's just another flavor of statism. Yes. But now I understand why people vote for right-wing. It's mostly, I think, about the immigration issue. Do you agree? Well, I, I think that that may be true in some place. I'm not sure if that's the case in Netherlands. I, I think one of the uh, biggest driving factors in the Netherlands is something similar to what what we're dealing with in Canada, and that that's actually what uh, Mike Can brought up here. You know, MPs can't do simple things, even though they portray what they do as complex. They could easily remove the carbon tax, like most Canadians, uh, but they don't do it. And I think that's true. But I think what we're seeing is a shift, and and what. What has happened in Netherlands, there has been protests for a year or two because they were um, banning fertilizers on, on farm land. And this was going to basically decimate the farming industry there. Um, we're seeing something similar. There's been talk about uh, similar proposals in Canada to limit fertilizer or tax it or something as being bad for the environment. And so I think yeah. people have just had enough. It's like, this is ridiculous. We, you know, in a, in a, environment of inflation and where things are unaffordable you're making things even more unaffordable and so i think uh what we're seeing at least in the netherlands is, and in argentina and in canada as well is a push back against leftist economics and and the environmental climate change agenda um and people are pushing back and i, and I think that's what's going to largely inform the next election in Canada. I'm not, I know that a lot of populists worry about immigration. I'm not sure if that's at the top of everyone's list of what's the, their biggest concern right now in Canada. I think the biggest concern is probably uh, affordability. Like our, our buying power has been shriveled up to nothing. And you've got this carbon tax as we go into the cold months. Uh, and oh, you're, you're giving, people in liberal ridings a break on their carbon tax, but you're punishing us out West. Uh, fuck is you. it really what happened? Is it really what happened? Yeah, man, man oh, have you watched the news? So in, in uh, the Maritimes, they are, they've, they're given a car. They're, they're not carbon taxing home heating oil. Okay. Now where is home heating oil prevalent? It's pretty much only liberal ridings <laughs> where we're yeah. everywhere else. Like Western Canada is heated by natural gas and in Alberta, especially. So, and we're like, why can't we have affordable? Uh, why can't can't you make it affordable for us to survive as well? Right. And um, and so we're noticing that a lot of Canadians are noticing that. And, you know, we're, we are and there's a huge pushback. I mean, this is why the conservatives are way ahead in the polls, showing a, a substantial majority government right now. If an election were to be called uh, Poliev continues to um, do things that drive the left nuts and that are that they think are, are the nail in the coffin. I mean, the recent thing was that they're making um, a mountain out of is the uh, the explosion on the the uh, border there, U.S. Canada border. Did you see this? Where there, there was reports initially that it was uh, terrorist, right? Yeah. We saw it in the news. Polyev made hay with it in Parliament, saying there's a reported terrorist attack and that 
and what is the prime minister doing and blah, blah, blah. And now uh, it turns out it wasn't a terrorist attack. And so what's that? I'm sorry. What, 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 what happened? If it's well, there, so the initial reports are a car, car driving the wrong way towards the U S Canada border uh, exploded, killing two people. Um, so it seemed like, uh, you know, it seems reasonable to conclude it's a terrorist attack. <laughs> and then, and then later on you saw the video of the thing and the thing was flying at like Mach 10. It was going well over a hundred miles an hour, hit a concrete barricade launched. And then off camera, you see a big ball of flame coming. So this, this was obviously, it was probably like a, a suicide type deal, right? Where the guy, I, I've actually seen a few of those as a, as a paramedic, a firefighter paramedic. There's been uh, an uptick in those types of events. Uh, we had recently had uh, a stabbing in, in our community, uh, pretty bad stabbing. And the perpetrator of that stabbing then took off at high speeds and purposely drove into a concrete abutment and killed himself. So, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of strain on people, mental health and otherwise, because of various things, right. That that's only being ramped up. So we're bound to see more of this, but, but the liberal media is painting Polyev as a liar because a reporter called him out and said, um, Hey, are you, what, what is your reaction to being wrong about this? What do you have to say about that? And he was basically like, well, what did I say? I said, there were reports that it was a terrorist attack. Did I lie? CTV, the, the Canadian press, uh, all reported that it, there were, it was reported as a terrorist attack. So they have to issue three. Right. And so, uh, my, my point is, I don't think Polyev could do anything. I, I mean, I think he could literally run someone over right now and still get elected prime minister because, <laughs> because people are just sick of what we've been dealing with. It's like anyone who promises some moderate relief from that is likely to, to win right now. And, uh, you know, so, so I think that's, that's what we're seeing right now is, is a huge, uh, backlash against, um, big government leftist, big government. Now, um, you know, of course the, the, the worry is that we see this every few years, right? I mean, it, it, it goes in waves, right? It goes, um, up and down it, it, the countries veer left and then they go right and they wobble back and forth. That, that's but, what, that's what but the state like. continues to grow. It seems the yeah. state continues to grow. And, and, uh, so that that's part of the problem. And whatever your worst fear is, um, while you want the government to implement the program to deal with that anxiety, um, you know, now it just so happens that, you know, carbon tax or climate change agenda, that luckily involves repealing some government and getting rid of some tax, hopefully. Although I'm not convinced that conservatives are totally going to abolish it. They're probably going to bring in some other scheme that is just going to let government grow at a slightly slower rate. Uh, just like, you know, and, and the it's like the immigration debate. I've said it numerous times on this podcast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic. I mean, I do think immigration is a problem. I think mass immigration is a problem. I think that that there is something to be said about that. There's some legitimate yeah. gripe, but the root cause here is statism. It's the fact that 
you and I are forced into association with each other, even though I don't like you, Manuel, and I don't want to have any association with you. What you do and how you vote affects me. And that's not right. I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't have to pay for your education over there in Quebec, Manuel. I shouldn't have to spend (laughs) all my tax dollars to pay for your highfalutin Quebecois lifestyle. The, 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 the worst thing about that is that Quebec, we don't have really a, a better lifestyle. We pay right. uh, we pay a lot more income tax. Right. Uh, we have uh, a lot more monopolies on many issues, on, ma- on many things. Uh, the, our waiting time in Quebec for uh, in, uh, in hospitals. So what you're saying is my tax dollars are letting your corrupt terrible yeah. system yeah. keeping it afloat it's yeah. letting you letting letting your government continue to tax you at a high rate and oppress you and yeah. still maintain solvency you're welcome the quebec the quebec <laughs> the quebec government even uh, took the gun registry uh, from the garbage can of the federal government and uh, i don't know i i understand uh people of alberta to be mad about the quebec government but Wow. I think we're mostly mad at the federal government. We're not yeah. really mad at the Quebec, but we use Quebec as the example of why we're mad. Yeah. You keep taking our money and giving it to these guys. They're not doing a good job with it. We could do a better job with it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Anything else, Manuel? Have we covered all the bases? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Maybe I think I wanted to say about uh, last thing about Xavier Milai. As I said, I love the guy. I'm happy he got elected. But as I think I told you, I used to be a Marxist. Here's a question. Uh, Here's a question from a listener. Maybe we can address. Yeah. Which situation would be better in your opinion, Tim and Manuel? Trudeau leaving office now or in October 2025? I wish I could answer that. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, me, me, me. I think that the sooner is out. Uh, emotionally, a lot of people that hates him is gonna be happy because I think he's a hateable and despicable person. Uh, but the fact that he would, be, but if he leaves office, will will it will it be because there's an election or will he be replaced by someone else? Well, that's just it. I mean, and, and that's that's where you might play the devil's advocate and say it'd be better to hang on to him for a bit because his replacement might be more likable and more uh, diplomatic or or more appealing to the Canadian voters than Trudeau. We're all sick of Trudeau. Everyone is. So we're happy to vote him out. On the other hand, uh, I will say that if we could get rid of the liberal government right now, I think that would be huge. Um, if, if somehow, if getting rid of him involved the general election, if we could get a general election called ASAP, I think that would be fantastic. Um, you know, I, again, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm being pragmatic here. I see some positive reforms happening in Alberta. Okay. Uh, Daniel Smith is trying to exert some Alberta sovereignty. She is pushing on getting us out of the CPP and, and getting into our own provincial fund. Okay. It's not my own retirement fund. It's not my own money, but it's better than being lumped into the CPP. In my opinion, she's talking about our own police force, our own, um, uh, uh, she pushed back on even the plastic straw ban and we just want a Supreme court decision there. Um, <laughs> things like that. Daniel Smith is, is putting in for, there's another thing too. Oh, 
I mean, she's engaging in healthcare reforms and she'd be able to get a lot more done if some reform could be done at the federal level on the Canada Health Act, ideally if it were repealed. But that currently is never going to happen. Like for, for healthcare to be legal in Canada, which is really what's required for a viable solution, legal healthcare. I, I need to be able to start a healthcare enterprise if you want more healthcare, right? But healthcare workers are prevented from doing that. It's illegal. And it, it's made illegal essentially by the Canada Health Act. So even if Danielle Smith wanted to, she couldn't. My point is, if we got rid of the Liberal government and implemented a, a government, a Conservative government, CPC, that's more amenable to working with premiers like Danielle Smith, who want some more independence and autonomy, I think Albertans, selfishly, will are more likely to get what we want um, in the right direction with a, a Conservative government. So, so if... Um, if we could get call a general election, get rid of Justin Trudeau, I'd say call it today. Let's get rid of him. But if it's simply a change in leadership, I say let's hang on to uh, hang on to Pony Boy, Little Potato for a while longer and let let Canadians really feel the pain of his administration, so that there's no no doubt that he's going in 2025. The pain of his, it's not just the pain of the administration of Trudeau; it's the pain of decades of statism of central bank of socialism yes. of, uh, of all that fundamentally i know that when and i hope if, if pierre when pierre poiliev is going to be elected it's going to be fun to see the the, the, the reaction of the left the, the media they're yeah, going to say that there's a nazi they're going to they're going to stall that it's going to be fun to 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 see that, but fundamentally, Pierre Poiliev is not, he's not gonna uh, uh, do anything about the central bank, the debt, uh, he's, not, he's not gonna take, out, take us out of NATO. I don't think that uh, we right. will have a full gun right. No, yeah, the yeah. problem will stay. So. Sure, all the seeds of our destruction will still be there. Um, he, the he, won't, he won't maybe water it as much, but he certainly won't hack at the root. The the woke the woke bullshit will probably be uh, less. It will be the the, the woke right. agenda will be will be less. Uh, but but here's the thing, Manuel. I remember the '80s and '90s when the problem with the the problem that uh, ideology with that was against free speech and for prohibitions was the right wing. It was the conservatives that were against free speech. Yeah. They were the ones, and and I mean, I could see that starting up again now. I mean, we we see um, uh, speech that's labeled anti-Semitism being banned on the platform. <laughs> Who's pushing that? Yes. Who's pushing that? That's the right. The right is pushing that. So again, you know, whether it's a left jackboot or a right jackboot makes no difference to me. They, they both have no problem using the state. And that is the problem. That's the fundamental existential crisis we must face is that unless we get down to work striking the root of the problem, statism, the idea that we need an institution that uses violence to solve our problems, and that's what society ought to organize itself around, and that's what society ought to petition every time it has any anxiety or fear, is the, the guns of government. As long as we have that culture, we are going to be facing these existential threats over and over again, and uh, so until we deal with this, we're not likely to see 
appreciable change. How's that for a way to, to I, I, I agree. Yeah. The, the last thing I wanted to say about Xavier Milai, as you know, I used to be a Marxist. Before. Oh, right. Okay. And what attracted me in the libertarian philosophy is that it was anti-war. Mm. Hardcore libertarian, like at the time, you know, Stefan Molyneux or and, uh, Lou Rockwell, they were openly anti-war. They were right. they were saying that wars are imperialist war, and I and I and I was like, wow! I thought that right-wing people were just pro-war. I thought libertarian were just a a, a, a variant, the right wing. Yeah, hey, it's, hey libertarian. Yeah. Are, are, are against war. Well, well Javi Malay is branded a, a right-wing extremist, right? So he must be pro-war. He must that's be pro-jackboot. Yeah, so but that, that's that what they brand us as. So but it's no wonder you I didn't talk against war. That's what, you know, it, it, a guy like Xavier Milai would not have converted me from a Marxist to a right. libertarian. Right, Ron right. Paul could have. Lou yeah. Rockwell could have, Stefan Molyneux could have, but that's a good point. That's what I wanted to say about him. Right. And, and there's probably a lot of leftists right. that could be sympathetic to the libertarian uh, ideal, especially the anti-imperialist and the fact that uh, we, we expose that billionaires don't become billionaires through the free market, but through right. the state. But now we have a guy that support Ukraine and Israel and Right, right, right. I got you. That's a really good point. And, yeah. and, and you're right. Uh, Ron Paul's anti-war message seems to be what drawn him. And you remember, guys, Ron Paul was anti-war when that was very unpopular. I mean, post-9-11, post if you weren't around for 9-11, it feels very similar to what you might have felt on October 8th after Hamas attacked Israel. Yeah. Right, the anger, the the sheer uh, lust for vengeance, that was times a thousand what you saw uh, with the Israel Hamas thing, and that was the exact time when it was most important for libertarians to be principled and say be anti-war. And we took flack then, didn't we, from the neocons and and the conservative right? They were like, you you don't support the troops, you don't support America, you don't support freedom. You're you're pro uh, terrorist, you're pro this, you're blah blah blah. Uh, who turned out to be right in the end? It was us because yeah. principles are pragmatic, as Ayn Rand said, and you don't attack people who are innocent. We didn't attack you and expect to have good results. Anyways. Uh, but, and and uh, recently, I, uh, as I said, I was listening to a podcast from uh, the Mises Institute, and they said that even today, again, Ron Paul, a lot of people said that they agree with Ron Paul, except on foreign policy. And some libertarian told me that the the, the reason Ron Paul never got elected or never but he got he got elected as a, as a member of Congress, but that he never went uh, further than that. It's because he's anti-war. Right. So yeah, I mean you you've got the whole military-industrial complex against you if you're anti-war, right? And yeah, that's not good. Okay, awesome. Well, listen, guys, thanks for hanging in there. This has been over an hour. Manuel, thank you for joining us and Thanks bringing your unique much, perspective yeah. to things. Uh, hopefully we don't get canceled. Haven't been canceled yet, but I sh I'm positive if I have you on more, Manuel, one day I'll be canceled. So uh, <laughs> thanks again. I, I, I got canceled. And me, I got recently, I, I got uh, 
quite a hard time uh, in my relationship. Uh, um, I got some 30 years old friends that I didn't see them a lot, but this decided to break with me because probably in part of for my, uh, my my belief even my girlfriend broke with me recently be, oh and it, it's in part because of my my value so uh, uh wow. there's many ways to be canceled so. i mean maybe they did you a favor right maybe that was a good filter mechanism uh, to find out who who really uh deserves to be in your life and who really cares about you and uh <laughs> or who's more important cares about uh ideology but anyways manuel i'm sorry to hear about your troubles you still got your boy here i'm still yeah. your friend uh even if i disagree with you about some things I, I don't know what i disagree with you on but if i do you're still my boy so uh, thank you guys out there listening appreciate it uh make sure you subscribe to my rumble page go to rumble and find me i'm trying to grow that page uh so that when manuel eventually does get me canceled I'll have a safe place to go. So thanks again. All right. See you later, guys.